A Journal of the Plague Year by Daniel Defoe, Episode 19. I would be far from lessening the awe of the judgments of God and the reverence to His providence which ought always to be on our minds on such occasions as these. Doubtless, the visitation itself is a stroke from heaven upon a city or country or nation where it falls, a messenger of His vengeance, and a loud call to that nation or country or city to humiliation and repentance, according to that of the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 18, verses 7 through 8. At which instant I shall speak concerning a nation, and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, and to pull down, and destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. Now to prompt due impressions of the awe of God on the minds of men on such occasions, and not to lessen them, it is, that I have left these minutes upon record. I say, therefore I reflect upon no man for putting the reason of those things upon the immediate hand of God and the appointment and direction of his providence. Nay, on the contrary, there are many wonderful deliverances of persons from the infection and deliverances of persons when infected, which intimate singular and remarkable providence in the particular instances to which they refer, and I esteem my own deliverance to be one next to miraculous and do record it with thankfulness." But when I am speaking of the plague as a distemper arising from natural causes, we must consider it as it was really propagated by natural means, nor is it at all the less a judgment for its being under the conduct of human causes and effects, for as the divine power has formed the whole scheme of nature and maintains nature in its course, so the same power thinks fit to let his own actings with men, whether of mercy or judgment, go on in the ordinary course of natural causes, and he is pleased to act by those natural causes as the ordinary means, accepting and reserving to himself, nevertheless, a power to act in a supernatural way when he sees occasion. Now, tis evident that in the case of an infection there is no apparent extraordinary occasion for supernatural operation, but the ordinary course of things appears sufficiently armed and made capable of all the effects that heaven usually directs by a contagion. Among these causes and effects, this of the secret conveyance of infection, imperceptible and unavoidable, is more than sufficient to execute the fierceness of divine vengeance without putting it upon supernaturals and miracle. The acute penetrating nature of the disease itself was such, and the infection was received so imperceptibly that the most exact caution could not secure us while in the place. But I must be allowed to believe, and I have so many examples fresh in my memory to convince me of it, that I think none can resist their evidence. I say, I must be allowed to believe that no one in this whole nation ever received the sickness or infection, but who received it in the ordinary way of infection from somebody, or the clothes or touch or stench of somebody that was infected before. The manner of its coming first to London proves this also, that is, by goods brought over from Holland and brought thither from the Levant. The first breaking of it out in a house in Longacre, where those goods were carried and first opened, its spreading from that house to other houses by the visible unwary conversing with those who were sick, and the infecting the parish officers who were employed about the persons dead and the like. These are known authorities for this great foundation point, that it went on and proceeded from person to person, and from house to house, and no otherwise. In the first house that was infected there died four persons— A neighbor, hearing the mistress of the first house was sick, went to visit her, and went home, and gave the distemper to her family, and died, and all her household. A minister, called to pray with the first sick person in the second house, was said to sicken immediately, and die with several more in his house. Then the physicians began to consider, for they did not at first dream of a general contagion, 
but the physicians being sent to inspect the bodies, they assured the people that it was neither more or less than the plague with all its terrifying particulars, and that it threatened an universal infection, so many people having already conversed with the sick or distempered, and having, as might be supposed, received infection from them, that it would be impossible to put a stop to it. Here, the opinion of the physicians agreed with my observation afterwards, namely, that the danger was spreading insensibly, for the sick could infect none but those that came within reach of the sick person. But that one man, who may have really received the infection, and knows it not, but goes abroad and about as a sound person, may give the plague to a thousand people, and they to greater numbers in proportion, and neither the person giving the infection or the persons receiving it know anything of it, and perhaps not feel the effects of it for several days after." For example, many persons in the time of this visitation never perceived that they were infected till they found, to their unspeakable surprise, the tokens come out upon them, after which they seldom lived six hours. For those spots they called the tokens were really gangrene spots, or mortified flesh and small knobs as broad as a little silver penny and hard as a piece of callus or horn, so that when the disease was come up to that length there was nothing could follow but certain death, and yet, as I said, they knew nothing of their being infected, nor found themselves so much as out of order till those mortal marks were upon them. But everybody must allow that they were infected in a high degree before, and must have been so some time, and consequently their breath, their sweat, their very clothes were contagious for many days before. This occasioned a vast variety of cases, which physicians would have much more opportunity to remember than I, but some came within the compass of my observation or hearing, of which I shall name a few. A certain citizen, who had lived safe and untouched till the month of September, when the weight of the distemper lay more in the city than it had done before, was mighty cheerful and something too bold, as I think it was, in his talk of how secure he was, how cautious he had been, and how he had never come near any sick body. Says another citizen, a neighbor of his, to him one day, Do not be too confident, mister. It is hard to say who is sick and who is well, for we see man alive and well to outward appearance one hour, and dead the next." That is true, says the first man, for he was not a man presumptuously secure, but had escaped a long while, and man, as I said above, especially in the city, began to be over-easy upon that score. That is true, says he, I do not think myself secure, but I hope I have not been in company with any person that there has been any danger in. No, says his neighbor, was not you at the Bullhead Tavern in Gracechurch Street with Mr. the night before last? Yes, says the first, I was, but there was nobody there that we had any reason to think dangerous. Upon which his neighbor said no more, being unwilling to surprise him, but this made him more inquisitive, and as his neighbor appeared backward, he was the more impatient, and in a kind of warmth, says he aloud, Why, he is not dead, is he? Upon which his neighbor still was silent, but cast up his eyes and said something to himself, at which the first citizen turned pale and said no more but this, Then I am a dead man too." and went home immediately, and sent for a neighboring apothecary to give him something preventive, for he had not yet found himself ill. But the apothecary, opening his breast, fetched a sigh, and said no more, but this, Look up to God, and the man died in a few hours. Now, let any man judge from a case like this if it is possible for the regulations of magistrates, either by shutting up the sick or removing them to stop an infection which spreads itself from man to man, even while they are perfectly well and insensible of its approach, and may be so for many days. It may be proper to ask here how long it may be supposed men might have the seeds of the contagion in them before it discovered itself in this fatal manner, and how long they might go about seemingly whole and yet be contagious to all those that came near them. I believe the most experienced physicians cannot answer this question directly any more than I can. 
and something an ordinary observer may take notice of which may pass their observation. The opinion of physicians abroad seems to be that it may lie dormant in the spirits or in the blood vessels a very considerable time. Why else do they exact a quarantine of those who come into their harbors and ports from suspected places? Forty days is, one would think, too long for nature to struggle with such an enemy as this and not conquer it or yield to it. But I could not think by my own observation that they can be infected so as to be contagious to others above fifteen or sixteen days at farthest. And on that score it was that when a house was shut up in the city and anyone had died of the plague, but nobody appeared to be ill in the family for sixteen or eighteen days after, they were not so strict, but that they would connive at their going privately abroad. Nor would people be much afraid of them afterward, but rather think they were fortified the better, having not been vulnerable when the enemy was in their own house. But we sometimes found it had lain much longer concealed. Upon the foot of all these observations, I must say that though Providence seemed to direct my conduct to be otherwise, yet it is my opinion, and I must leave it as a prescription, that is, that the best physic against the plague is to run away from it. I know people encourage themselves by saying, God is able to keep us in the midst of danger and able to overtake us when we think ourselves out of danger. And this kept thousands in the town whose carcasses went into the great pits by cartloads, and who, if they had fled from the danger, had, I believe, been safe from the disaster. At least it is probable they had been safe. And were this very fundamental only duly considered by the people on any future occasion of this or the like nature, I am persuaded it would put them upon quite different measures for managing the people from those that they took in 1665 or than any that have been taken abroad that I have heard of. In a word, they would consider of separating the people into smaller bodies and removing them in time farther from one another, and not let such a contagion as this, which is indeed chiefly dangerous to collected bodies of people, find a million of people in a body together, as was very near the case before, and would certainly be the case if it should ever appear again. The plague, like a great fire, if a few houses only are contiguous where it happens, can only burn a few houses, or if it begins in a single, or as we call it a lone house, can only burn that lone house where it begins. But if it begins in a close-built town or city and gets ahead, there its fury increases, it rages over the whole place and consumes all it can reach. I could propose many schemes on the foot of which the government of this city, if ever they should be under the apprehensions of such another enemy, God forbid they should, might ease themselves of the greatest part of the dangerous people that belong to them, I mean such as the begging, starving, laboring poor, and among them chiefly those who in case of a siege are called the useless mouths, who being then prudently and to their own advantage disposed of, and the wealthy inhabitants disposing of themselves and of their servants and children, the city and its adjacent parts would be so effectually evacuated that there would not be above a tenth part of its people left together for the disease to take hold upon. But suppose them to be a fifth part, and that 250,000 people were left, and if it did seize upon them, they would by their living so much at large be much better prepared to defend themselves against the infection, and be less liable to the effects of it than if the same number of people lived close together in one smaller city, such as Dublin or Amsterdam or the like. It is true, hundreds, yea, thousands of families fled away at this last plague, but then of them many fled too late, and not only died in their flight, but carried the distemper with them into the countries where they went, and infected those whom they went among for safety, which confounded the thing, and made that be a propagation of the distemper which was the best means to prevent it. And this too is an evidence of it, and brings me back to what I only hinted at before, but must speak more fully to here." namely, that men went about apparently well many days after they had the taint of the disease in their vitals, and after their spirits were so seized as that they could never escape it, and that all the while they did so they were dangerous to others. 
I say, this proves that so it was, for such people infected the very towns they went through, as well as the families they went among, and it was by that means that almost all the great towns in England had the distemper among them, more or less, and always they would tell you such a Londoner or such a Londoner brought it down. It must not be omitted that when I speak of those people who are really thus dangerous, I suppose them to be utterly ignorant of their own condition. For if they really knew their circumstances to be such as indeed there were, they must have been a kind of willful murderers if they would have gone abroad among healthy people, and it would have verified indeed the suggestion which I mentioned above and which I thought seemed untrue, that is, that the infected people were utterly careless as to giving the infection to others, and rather forward to do it than not, and I believe it was partly from this very thing that they raised that suggestion, which I hope was not really true in fact. I confess no particular case is sufficient to prove a general, but I could name several people within the knowledge of some of their neighbors and families yet living who showed the contrary to an extreme. One man, a master of a family in my neighborhood, having had the distemper, he thought he had it given him by a poor workman whom he employed, and whom he went to his house to see, or went for some work that he wanted to have finished, and he had some apprehensions even while he was at the poor workman's door, but did not discover it fully, but the next day it discovered itself, and he was taken very ill, upon which he immediately caused himself to be carried into an outbuilding which he had in his yard, and where there was a chamber over a workhouse, the man being a brazier. Here he lay, and here he died, and would be tended by none of his neighbors, but by a nurse from abroad, and would not suffer his wife, or children, or servants to come up into the room, lest they should be infected, but sent them his blessing and prayers for them by the nurse, who spoke it to them at a distance, and all this for fear of giving them the distemper, and without which he knew as they were kept up, they could not have it. And here I must observe also that the plague, as I suppose all distempers do, operated in a different manner on differing constitutions. Some were immediately overwhelmed with it, and came to violent fevers, vomitings, unsufferable headaches, pains in the back, and so up to ravings and ragings with those pains, Others, with swellings and tumors in the neck or groin or armpits, which, till they could be broke, put them into insufferable agonies and torment, while others, as I have observed, were silently infected, the fever preying upon their spirits insensibly, and they seeing little of it till they fell into swoonings and faintings and death without pain. I am not physician enough to enter into the particular reasons and manner of these differing effects of one and the same distemper, and of its differing operation in several bodies, nor is it my business here to record the observations which I really made, because the doctors themselves have done that part much more effectually than I can do, and because my opinion may in some things differ from theirs. I am only relating what I know, or have heard, or believe of the particular cases, and what fell within the compass of my view, and the different nature of the infection as it appeared in the particular cases which I have related. But this may be added, too, that though the former sort of those cases, namely those openly visited, were the worst for themselves as to pain, I mean, those that had such fevers, vomitings, headaches, pains, and swellings, because they died in such a dreadful manner, yet the latter had the worst state of the disease, for in the former they frequently recovered, especially if the swellings broke, but the latter was inevitable death. No cure, no help could be possible, nothing could follow but death. And it was worse also to others, because, as above, it secretly and unperceived by others, or by themselves, communicated death to those they conversed with, the penetrating poison insinuating itself into their blood in a manner which it is impossible to describe, or indeed conceive. 
This infecting and being infected without so much as its being known to either person is evident from two sorts of cases which frequently happened at that time, and there is hardly anybody living who is in London during the infection but must have known several of the cases of both sorts. First, fathers and mothers have gone about as if they had been well and have believed themselves to be so till they have insensibly infected and been the destruction of their whole families, which they would have been far from doing if they had the least apprehensions of their being unsound and dangerous themselves. A family, whose story I have heard, was thus infected by the father, and the distemper began to appear upon some of them even before he found it upon himself, but searching more narrowly, it appeared he had been infected some time, and as soon as he found that his family had been poisoned by himself, he went distracted, and would have laid violent hands upon himself, but was kept from that by those who looked to him, and in a few days died. Second, the other particular is that many people, having been well to the best of their own judgment or by the best observation which they could make of themselves for several days, and only finding a decay of appetite or a light sickness upon their stomachs, nay, some whose appetite has been strong and even craving and only a light pain in their heads, have sent for physicians to know what ailed them and have been found to their great surprise at the brink of death, the tokens upon them, or the plague grown up to an incurable height. It was very sad to reflect how such a person as this last mentioned above had been a walking destroyer, perhaps for a week or fortnight before that, how he had ruined those that he would have hazarded his life to save, and had been breathing death upon them, even perhaps in his tender kissing and embracings of his own children. Yet thus certainly it was, and often has been, and I could give many particular cases where it has been so. If then the blow is thus insensibly stricken, if the arrow flies thus unseen and cannot be discovered, to what purpose are all the schemes for shutting up or removing the sick people? Those schemes cannot take place, but upon those that appear to be sick or to be infected, whereas there are among them at the same time thousands of people who seem to be well, but are all that while carrying death with them into all companies which they come into. This frequently puzzled our physicians, and especially the apothecaries and surgeons who knew not how to discover the sick from the sound, they all allowed that it was really so, that many people had the plague in their very blood, and preying upon their spirits, and were in themselves but walking putrefied carcasses, whose breath was infectious and their sweat poison, and yet were as well to look on as other people, and even knew it not themselves. I say, they all allowed that it was really true in fact, but they knew not how to propose a discovery. My friend Dr. Heath was of opinion that it might be known by the smell of their breath, but then, as he said, who durst smell to that breath for his information? Since to know it, he must draw the stench of the plague up into his own brain in order to distinguish the smell. I have heard it was the opinion of others that it might be distinguished by the parties breathing upon a piece of glass, where the breath condensing there might living creatures be seen by a microscope of strange, monstrous, and frightful shapes, such as dragons, snakes, serpents, and devils, horrible to behold." But this I very much question the truth of, and we had no microscopes at that time, as I remembered, to make the experiment with. It was the opinion also of another learned man that the breath of such a person would poison and instantly kill a bird, not only a small bird, but even a cock or hen, and that if it did not immediately kill the latter, it would cause them to be rupee, as they call it, particularly that if they had laid any eggs at that time, they would be all rotten." but those are opinions which I never found supported by any experiments or heard of others that had seen it, so I leave them as I find them, only with this remark, namely, that I think the probabilities are very strong for them. 
Some had proposed that such persons should breathe hard upon warm water, and that they would leave an unusual scum upon it, or upon several other things, especially such as are of a glutinous substance and are apt to receive a scum and support it. But from the whole I found that the nature of this contagion was such that it was impossible to discover it at all, or to prevent its spreading from one to another by any human skill.' 